This is Focal Point for Thursday the 16th of June 2011, protecting your online reputation. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hi Chris, how are you going? I'm well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty happy. It's been a while since we've done a podcast. I think we missed one because we've been working on our book, but I'm glad to be back. Yep, me too. So today we're talking about protecting your online reputation. I guess we're going to lead off with three recent stories that have made the news that make this very topical. Yeah, so uh, the first of these is Wienergate, and you know it's a pretty big scandal when it ends with the word gate. It's all about uh, a US congressman, Democrat congressman Anthony Wiener, as the name suggests. And he uh, recently admitted that he'd sent uh, sexually explicit photos of himself to uh, women who were followers of his on Twitter. And when, you know, when US congressmen are doing this, you really, really wonder what was he thinking? What was he thinking? And he was using a social media platform to do it. What's more, it really beggars belief. Yeah, and just if I understand the story, Chris, he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, he didn't do anything technically wrong, did he, in using the technology. It just so happened that he sent it out... And it, of course, was electronic and public, and one of the people he sent it to, one of the women he sent it to, made it public. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was astonishing that he thought that uh, that he thought to do that, or, or he didn't think in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we're not talking about the ethics and morals of it here, so, but technology-wise, he was very naive. Yes. So the second story is a story out of the UK where the, the UK courts now are granting injunctions and super injunctions uh, to various parties and it, it really affects the way that the media can report stories. And there's been a lot of controversy recently about these super injunctions. So an injunction is where the, where the court says that the media can't write about a story or can't mention particular people in a story. A super injunction is something which is, it seems to be something that's only available to the rich because it's quite expensive to go through the process. But it says that the media is not only allowed to not mention the story, but even can't mention the fact that the story has been suppressed. So they can't say anything about that story. And recently, uh, a UK footballer, Ryan Giggs, I think we're allowed to say his name, aren't we, Chris? We'll find out. <laughs> we're not media. Uh, he, he got a, uh, he had a super injunction granted and the media, uh, respected that and re- didn't report the story, but it got leaked on Twitter and thousands of people then then tweeted the story and he hired a law firm uh, to try and suppress the story and it got to ridiculous stages where the law firm was trying to track down everybody who'd, who'd retweeted that message. And it was, a silly, it, was, it was a silly thing to do and it actually got more bad PR than it actually helped to suppress the story simply because people just said, this is ridiculous, you can't do this. Uh, the... Twitter is a public forum. Uh, we're not the media. We're not journalists. We're not uh, covered. We're not bound by these these court gagging orders. And uh, in any case, it's ridiculous to try and trace down and track and, and penalise every everyone who tweeted that uh, that message. Yes, it's uh, something called the Streisand effect, which we'll talk about a little later in the podcast. And the final bit of recent news is with regard to the state of Alaska, which recently made public Sarah Palin's email archive from the time when she was governor of that state. 
uh, so several thousand emails. Some of them were redacted and some of them were uh, held out of the, the publication process, but the vast majority were made public. And it wasn't a matter of hacking, although her email account was hacked some years ago. This was uh, re- the, These um, archives were released under freedom of information legislation that uh, the state of Alaska is bound by. So you might think, oh yeah, well that's Sarah Palin, she was governor of Alaska. This sort of thing only affects uh, public officials, high profile people like Sarah Palin. But in fact, if you happen to work for a government authority or a public authority, or if you happen to work for a, a large public corporation or, um, or organisation, then it might be the case that uh, there's legislation which applies to that organisation that means that your work emails have to be archived uh, just in case they need to be made public for inquiry at some point in the future. And if you happen to be using your work email for uh, private purposes as well, then that may well make itself into may, may well find itself in the public domain. Yeah, and, and that's right. And all of these three stories are about people's online reputation, and their reputations have been harmed or besmirched in some way because of the internet. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, so, I quite often in my business tell people how to build an online reputation by publishing articles and creating YouTube videos and publishing podcasts like we're doing now. But today we're going to look at the other side of it, which is not so much building your reputation, but protecting it. And we're going to give you four principles for doing that. Yeah, so the first of these principles is bite your tongue. And as the three stories that we started with illustrate, your online activities should be thought of as public and permanent. So even activities that you might otherwise consider to be private, such as your email conversations with your colleagues or photos that you share with friends on social media platforms like Facebook and so forth, they have the potential to become public at some point in the future, even though you might consider them to be private at the time that you're engaged with them. Now, you might also think that you can some way uh, erase them. You can delete your sent mail folder or you can close your Facebook account and that uh, you might think all traces of your activity have been erased. But what about the copies of those emails that you've sent to others? And when you close your Facebook account, does Facebook actually erase all of your data from a service? Turns out that they don't. And even if they did, even if they did, uh, what about copies or screenshots of your messages and pics that your Facebook friends have uh, kept for themselves? And in fact, there's a rather humorous blog called Failbook, uh, which is devoted to screenshots of some of the more amusing conversations that have taken place on social media platforms. Of course, Failbook uh, makes sure they anonymise the identities of the people in those conversations to protect the guilty. So once you send an email message or you post to a blog or you upload a picture or video or you tweet or you update your status on Facebook or you submit an online comment, you've left an indelible mark on the internet and it's one that you can no longer control and is part of your online reputation. Yeah, and I think that's something that we've been familiar with, Chris, you and I, for the last 25 years because we've been using email for that long. But a lot of people now are just suddenly realizing that fact. So we've always been careful that if you don't want anyone else, if you don't want someone to see the content of your email, uh, in, in other words, wider than the people you're sending it to, then don't send it an email. Uh, pick up the phone and call them or walk over and talk to them rather than sending it an email. Uh, but now there are more people online who are doing things like Twitter and Facebook without realising the consequence of what they're doing. Absolutely, Gihan. Yeah, so as we say, just to repeat, treat everything online as public and permanent. Yeah, and so... You know, that said, we're not trying to encourage a siege mentality here. So there are things that you might prefer to be private, but you don't really mind if they become public. So, for example, when um, I 
correspond with my help desk uh, assistant, Ray Stanton, and we send email between ourselves. It's the sort of email that we wouldn't share with clients, but really I don't mind if accidentally we CC a client on it. It's just it's just that we don't want to bother with uh, bother them with that email or it might have some internal technical stuff. We don't mind if it becomes public. So there, there's obviously information that you're posting where it doesn't matter if it becomes a bit public. So we're not saying... Don't send anything. It's just the stuff that could be harmful uh, to your reputation. Just be very careful about. So just a few uh, rules of etiquette and some precautions that you might want to take. Uh, and I'll go through a few of them, Chris, and jump in whenever you want to. Sure. So, so one thing is, uh, let, let's start off with email. So don't send email to people who don't need it. So don't CC people if they really, really, really don't need to, to see that email. So just waste their time, lowers their productivity. And on a similar Similar concept, don't hit reply all unless it's absolutely necessary. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make. They just hit reply all and then it floods everybody else's inbox. When we look at something like Facebook, uh, Facebook by default prefers uh, to make things public, prefers to make your information public because it's in their vested interest to do so. So whenever they introduce new features, it generally requires Facebook users to opt out if you want to increase your privacy. And we recommend that you just turn up all your privacy settings. So make as little public as possible and uh, only make things public if you think it's just going to be really useful to you and your friends to have that public, but otherwise keep it private, and even to the extent of keeping it off Facebook if you don't, if you really don't want to make it public. Uh, and also the other thing with Facebook is Facebook is all about, uh, and they, in fact they promote this as this is for the people in your life, so it's not for strangers, so only invite people to be your friends, the people who you know and trust, and don't extend it to people who you wouldn't normally consider as friends. And now that Facebook has an option for you to create separate pages, so business pages or what used to be called fan pages, there's really no reason why you need to have uh, people other than your family and friends in your personal profile. So use your personal profile for family and friends, use your business page for your clients and people outside your network for strangers. Uh, I guess the other way to... So learn the difference between sending a direct message to someone, which is private, and what's called an at reply, which is public. And this is... It's actually an easy trap to fall into, especially if you're not used to Twitter. If you say DM and somebody's name, so if somebody sends a message saying DM Gihan Pereira, that's a direct message to me. It's just like sending an email to me. Whereas if they say at Gihan Pereira and then have type their message, it actually goes out to everybody. It just happens to have my name at the front of it. And uh, lots of people have fallen into the trap of sending what they thought was a private direct message, but actually was a, uh, was a public at reply. Yeah, yeah. Last night I sort of didn't at reply to one of the people I follow, and it wasn't uh, the sort of thing that I normally uh, tweet about. So normally I tweet about uh, my visualization-based uh, uh, material, but last night I thought uh, I saw a funny tweet from one of the guys I follow, so I replied with what I thought was a funny tweet, tweet as well. But but I thought about it before I did it. I thought, should this be a DM or should this be an at reply? And knowing the difference, and I think that's the important thing, is to know the difference and to think about it before taking action. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And also, if it is something that you really don't want uh, published wider, then don't send either. Yes. Uh, And just broadly, in terms of social media, uh, just think of it this way, that Facebook is private, is more private than public, Twitter is more public than private, and LinkedIn is somewhere in between. So if you think of the big three social networks, you're thinking about how, how much information you should make public, then those... That's a, that's a broad rule of thumb to keep in mind. Facebook's very private, Twitter's very public, LinkedIn somewhere in between. 
Yeah, so moving on to our second principle, which we've called lock-up. It's all about passwords. And the take-home message is to use what's called strong passwords. And I've got a link to a page on Wikipedia which outlines some uh, rules of thumb to help you to help you um, construct strong passwords, and we'll provide that with the, the podcast notes in our Focal Point blog. Uh, and there was a recent hack of the Sony PlayStation Network and a whole lot of other Sony websites as well. And uh, the... The various pa- accounts were hacked and passwords to those accounts were revealed and various um, analysts took a look at uh, these millions of passwords and what was revealed was an astonishing number of weak passwords being used by Sony account holders. Uh, they, they compiled the top 20 um, worst passwords amongst those, including things like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and using the word password as your password, and various other dictionary words um, and simple character sequences. And these are just so weak that uh, a cracker can easily uh, get the, guess these passwords um, in a matter of seconds. Uh, th- there's there's a, a program you can download off the internet, and using simple off-the-shelf hardware, passwords like these can be cracked within minutes. So your first protection to locking things up is to start with a strong password. And uh, I think we should also point out, Chris, that that list of the top 20 passwords, in fact, the, the website that we'll link to will have the top 100 worst passwords of all time. But those are just even the, the most common ones, like, like you said, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and the word password. But there are even other things which you might think are unique to you, like your 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 dog's name or your child's name or the year of your birth or your mother's maiden name or the license plate of your card, those sort of things which wouldn't appear in the list of top 500 because they're unique to you. However, even those, when somebody who's hacking into your account and has a little bit of information about you might be able to guess. And I think, in fact, you mentioned that Sarah Palin uh, email hack uh, at the start of the program, Chris, and I think that somebody who guessed something like the school that she went to, that oh, was right. a password. So she had used a very weak password, which wasn't one of the top 500, but it was something that somebody who knew Sarah Palin was able to guess quite easily, from the public record, in fact. Somebody who didn't yeah. know Yep. I mean, there are plenty of movies in Hollywood where you see uh, hackers cracking into people's accounts by guessing their password after three guesses. And normally I'd scoff at that kind of thing, but it turns out uh, they're not taking much poetic license at all. Exactly. Other things are that if you've got multiple accounts, use different passwords for each account. Um, and I don't know what you think of these, this idea, Gihan, but there are various things like passport wallets because I've got tons of accounts and it's really hard to keep track of the different passwords that I use for each and every one of those accounts. So, for example, Firefox has this kind of password wallet where I've got one master password that gives um, access to all the passwords to the various accounts that Firefox has remembered. Um, what, what's your opinion on using something like a passport wallet? Yeah, that's exactly what I do as well, Chris. I think that the, there are always downsides to to uh, any scheme that you use because if you use unique passwords for everything, then you have to remember them all. But I think that's better, and having something like a master password or a wallet to store them in, that's better than using the same password for, for every account that you use. There are other, there are other sort of, um, rules that people have given for creating passwords that, that are hard to guess but easy for you to remember. So, for example, some people, one, one scheme is to use something like your mother's maiden name, but when you type it on the keyboard, type one key to the right so that the password looks like it's encrypted, but it's actually very easy for you to 
for you to find out what that is. For you to type, because you happen to know that you just have to move one key to the right when you're typing in your password. Mm-hmm. And another one that I've seen is you pick the title of a movie or a, a song title or the, the first line of a song and use the first letters of that word, uh, sorry, the first word of each, first letter of each word as your password and then somehow, um, Modified depending on the site you're signing up for. So if you're Amazon site, uh, Amazon.com, you might have a rule that says you always set the middle letter so that will be Z, or A, in Amazon it might be AZ, and you include that in your password plus the, plus the words from a song title. And so that's a way that you can actually remember your passwords without having to use a wallet. But to be honest, Chris, I do exactly the same as you. I have the Firefox master password. Uh, I store passwords in Firefox, and then every time I start up Firefox in the morning, it asks me for my master password, which is the only way that uh, it then uses those passwords, uh, my other passwords, to log into websites. Okay. Uh, The final rule is don't share or divulge your passwords, and that in particular means don't write them down and stick them on a post-it note in your desk or attached to your monitor. That is, of course, the easiest way for people to hack into your account. And that's the problem with if you create difficult passwords, the passwords that are difficult to remember, then, of course, people are going to write it down. They're going to stick it on Post-it note or they're going to stick it somewhere in their wallet so that they remember it when they, when they have their phone. So if their phone and wallet both get stolen, then, the, then their passwords are revealed. Um, and the other thing about passwords is, okay, you can have the strongest passwords uh, and hackers can get in using various tech, uh, technological means, but there are also other ways that websites can trick you into revealing your passwords. Uh, and those are, that's called phishing, uh, which is spelled with a PH rather than an F. So they're phishing for you. So they, they stick out this bait and they're phishing for you. They hope you, you get on the hook and divulge your password. And there's been a couple of recent examples, recent high-profile examples of that. They're pretty common, but a couple of recent high-profile examples. One is with Apple. So Apple Max uh, recently got hit with what was called a virus, but actually it was a phishing attempt where some malware was uh, installed itself on Apple computers. And it became a controversy because Apple has always prided itself on having a fairly secure system, much more secure than Windows. And yet a lot of Apple users got tricked into divulging their passwords and, and revealing it because there's this malware called Mac Defender, which, which said, you've got a security problem, please download this antivirus software. But the antivirus software was actually the malware. So it tricked a lot of Apple users into installing this software on their computer, on their Mac. And um, I guess Apple users probably don't have as strong a sense of security and strong a sense of being awareness, uh, sorry, uh, strong awareness of these sort of viruses and problems. And so they were more likely to be tricked. Uh, and one is the, the Gmail hack that happened recently, Chris. Yeah, that's right. So Gmail's, several Gmail accounts were hacked. Uh, some of these were activists and um, government workers whose accounts were hacked. And again, a phishing attempt or a phishing uh, trick was used to gain access to those accounts. Again, there's, a, there's controversy because the hacking seemed to come from China and people were worried that Google's email, Gmail, was insecure. But as it, as you said, as you correctly said, the story that came out later, which actually was the right story, even though it was reported wrongly, the story was that these were Gmail users who were tricked into divulging their password rather than a security problem in Google itself. And there were, as you said, like government workers, but senior U.S. government officials were, were tricked into divulging their passwords. So it is something that affects a lot of people. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's move on to our third principle. And this is what happens when you're out and about. And more and more we're seeing people uh, with laptops and iPads and iPhones and uh, other tablets and all sorts of things out and about. So you can have security within your own home or your office. But we call this principle don't talk to strangers. And what we really mean is that when you're – just be careful – when you're away from your normal working environment. So if you're using, for example, if you don't have anything with you, but you're using a public computer like an Apple store or somewhere or at an internet cafe, just be careful. Like, Don't leave yourself logged in uh, when you're using those computers. So log out of any service that you do log into. And if you can, don't log in at all, especially to sensitive ser- services like your, like your bank. So try not to do any online banking when you're using a public computer. You just don't know what's been installed on that computer. For example, they may have their browser set up so that all the form information is saved automatically. So that would save anything that you type into a form. There may be people looking over your shoulder. You don't know what software has been installed on there. And there may, in fact, have been hackers who have come in and surreptitiously installed key logging software, which just records every keystroke on that computer. And the people running, say, the Internet Cafe may not even know about it, but it's happened. So some, somebody comes in, installs this software, they come back a, a day later and then download all the, all the records. Or Actually, they don't even need to come back now. They, they just access, access it over the Internet. So try not to use public computers. And if you are using them, make sure you log out. When it comes to uh, e-commerce on something like your smartphone, Gihan, is that something you do? Is that something you try and wait until you're using a desktop PC where you're not using a wireless network and uh, you're not using your mobile platform? Yeah, exactly. So I don't. I don't. And I, it's not for any uh, – like I don't even think about it now. I just always use it from my, from my laptop PC and making sure that it's using a non-public uh, – non uh, so using a secured wireless connection if I'm out and about. And, and I guess the reason for that is, Chris, partly is because I don't think the technology is good enough for me to be able to do really good e-commerce from my phone. Um, but also it's very diff- it's, it's much harder to tell whether you've got a secured connection. So on a web browser, I can see the HTTPS and I can see a padlock in my web browser because the smartphone has much less real estate for me to look at. Quite often I can't see the, the web address. It's, it's, the URL is hidden and there, there may not be any indication that is a secure site. Yeah, I think another aspect, Gihan, is that with our desktop PCs, we've got things like um, antivirus software and firewalls installed, whereas with mobile platforms, I don't have that sort of thing on my Android uh, phone, although that kind of software is becoming available. And the other thing is that uh, various apps have made their ways into the App Store for Apple and into the marketplace for Google's Android platform that have uh, installed keyloggers and other insecure unsecured software onto uh, mobile phones. I, I don't install many free games and that sort of thing, but I'm still wary of doing e-commerce on my, uh, my Android phone at this point. Yep, and just by the way, Chris, you should get an Android app called Lookout, mm-hmm. which, which is an antivirus and uh, anti-malware protection. Fantastic. I'll free do it straight app. after the podcast. Free app. I don't, think, I, I don't think there's anything similar for iPhones because I don't think Apple will allow app developers that much access to the, to the iPhone. So I don't think that's available yet. So iPhone users be, and iPad users, just be aware that you could be vulnerable to those sort of problems. Okay.
And speaking of being aware, another thing, uh, when you're using wireless networks, Wi-Fi networks, uh, avoid using unsecured Wi-Fi networks, that is, ones that aren't secured by a password and are therefore unencrypted. What can happen there is that other users of the network can eavesdrop on your communications. And to illustrate the problem, a developer earlier this year or late last year developed a Firefox plugin called FireSheep that would do exactly that. It would listen on unsecured Wi-Fi networks for other users of, so of uh, platforms like Twitter and and um, Facebook, and it would hijack your session, uh, hijack those other users' sessions. It was done purely to illustrate the risks of using unsecured Wi-Fi networks, uh, but it shows that it's feasible and easy for, for hackers to do that sort of thing. So avoid unsecured Wi-Fi networks. Uh, and if you want to be extra secure, the Electronic Frontiers Foundation, the EFF, have provided a Firefox plugin called HTTPS Everywhere, and what that does is that it uses, wherever possible, the encrypted um, internet protocol, HTTPS, um, on things like Google and Facebook and Twitter and Wikipedia and so on, because many of these websites um, allow you to browse in secured, uh, in, uh, on a secured network link, and that's where the, the padlock appears in your browser location bar. Um, but by default... You generally don't do that. So this plugin will switch to the secured form of uh, communications wherever it's made available. Yeah, and that's good if you've got your wits about you and you're aware of every website you're visiting and you think carefully about, is this a secure connect? Am I on an unsecure wireless uh, network and therefore I have to use the HTTPS? But most people don't. So if you really, so what we're talking about here is under, in extreme circumstances, you can use an unsecured Wi-Fi network, but as a rule of thumb, if the network's not secure, then don't connect to it, which yeah. means that it's inconvenient. It is really inconvenient because there are lots of now free Wi-Fi networks around, but you just got to be careful. So in the Qantas Club, when I'm in a Qantas Club, the Qantas is a free Wi-Fi network provided by Telstra, I think, in all the Qantas Clubs around Australia. And that's pretty convenient. It's pretty fast. It's faster than me plugging my wireless modem in and using it that way. But I don't use it for that reason. Um, simply because it's an unsecure Wi-Fi network, and that's exactly the sort of place where a hacker might be looking to get access to all these people, um, unknowingly uh, business people and uh, sending business data in a Qantas club. That's the sort of place that hackers might might linger and hang out. Yep. And then uh, while we're talking about this, this mobile space, uh, we talked about using strong passwords for, for access to websites, but also make sure that you uh, lock your mobile phone so your phone... Uh, whether it's an iPhone or an Android phone or any sort of phone, should have some sort of lock on it. And again, it's a slight inconvenience because every time you want to use your phone, you have to unlock it. But you should do that so that if your phone's stolen, then at least there's one small layer of protection in there. And again, use a good password. So somebody did, uh, somebody who wrote an app, a security app, uh, published the most, uh, anonymously again, published the most common passwords. And there were, there were the obvious things like 14 and 000 and 2580, which is, which have to be uh, four digits in a vertical line down the center of your of your keypad. So use strong passwords even with your phone, even if it's a, a four-digit pin. Fair enough. 
Our final principle is listen up. So we've talked about how to protect your online uh, reputation. Finally, what's being said about you uh, online? And there are various services that are tailored to meet that meet that kind of problem. The first is Google Alerts. So what you could do is you could go to Google and each day you could uh, do a search for yourself, a bit of ego surfing, find out what's being said about you. But Google makes that uh, even easier by allowing you to have that search run periodically and the search results get sent to you. You can either have them sent to you by email or you can have them sent to you as a, a web feed, an RSS web feed. So that's a really good way of keeping abreast of what's being said about you online. If you're lucky, like Gihan and me, you have a fairly distinctive name. Uh, if your name is Jane Smith, then it might be a little bit more difficult to find out whether you're being talked about or any of the other hundreds or thousands of other Jane Smiths. Another website that you brought to, to my attention, Gihan, is socialmention.com, which does pretty much the same thing, except that it focuses on social media. So, again, you can get a run a search for your own name or someone else's name, if you like, or whatever keywords you choose, uh, and it will run a search for those keywords across various social media platforms. It claims uh, hundreds, but the leading ones such as Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Dig, uh, and Google are searched, and it will return those uh, search results to you either in the form of an alert or you can do an ad hoc search and you can see what's being said uh, about you at that particular time. Yep, and I do both. So I have a Google alert for my name, I have a socialmention.com for my name, and as you said, Chris, uh, you can get them as a web feed, which means it's like uh, if you subscribe to blogs and you've got some sort of reader, like Google Reader, it's exactly the same thing. And uh, I actually, surprisingly, I do get, there is another very prominent Gihan Pereira who works for the Miami Workers Center, and he's often publishing stuff. So I have to still look through the results that come through and figure out which are, which are mentions of me. But because it comes in my blog reader, rather than cluttering up my email, it only takes a couple of minutes, actually less than that, a couple of seconds a day, to just check what people are saying about me online. Fantastic. So I guess the other thing is then what happens if you do find, if you do detect that something has been said about you and harms your reputation, and I guess really this should be a completely different uh, podcast episode because we're talking here about protecting your reputation so it doesn't get to this stage, but I guess we can give people some simple guidelines, Chris, on just simple things they can do if they do find that somebody has been uh, harming their reputation or, or they've done something that harms their own reputation. Yes, hey, the first of these is don't try to suppress it, uh, lest you suffer from the Streisand effect. And just to give you the background uh, to the name Streisand effect, uh, it arose when some aerial photographs of Barbara Streisand's mansion appeared online. Uh, so she took measures to try and get them taken down and as a result of uh, trying to do that, she drew more publicity to those aerial photographs than she otherwise would have got if she just let things lie. And this is exactly what happened with the super injunctions in the UK. Yep. Uh, so the second thing, so we talked about what not to do, but what what you should do is address it directly, not by not by suppressing it, but by giving people the facts and assuming that you haven't done something which deserves to harm your reputation. Uh, do take the do make the effort to address the, to address the issue directly. So offer facts and logic and common sense. I saw this, Chris, when I was investigating property investments, and there was a company that was that was basically helping investors buy investment properties. And I found there was some uh, there were some online forums which actually were fairly disparaging about this company. But the company, instead of contacting the forum 
coordinators and the owners and getting them to remove these comments and threatening them with def- uh, with defamation and uh, uh, legal avenues. What they did was they responded to the forum and said, look, here are the facts and here are some links. You can check us out. Here's, here's the, the balance to that argument. And in that way, they came across as, as fairly, uh, fairly reasonable and people saw them as going, okay, well, these people might be okay because even though some people are critical of them, they're, they're fighting back but doing it in a logical, reasonable way. Yeah. Another thing you can do is to ask other people to vouch for you. But it's important that uh, that it's that it's genuine. So they've got to declare their interests. Don't get them to do it anonymously. Anonymously, and especially don't fake those uh, those identities. Otherwise, it'll you'll be found out, and it'll just make things worse. You'll be digging yourself even deeper into the dirt. Exactly. And if you have got a strong and a positive reputation, and you've got clients and colleagues and friends who will vouch for you, well. Ask them to, and sometimes they'll just pitch in anyway because they'll see it as well and they want to help you out. Uh, but them to pitch in and say, uh, declare their interests and, and say what they think of you. And that really comes down to our, our last bit of advice, which is just rely on that positive reputation that you've built up, which does mean that you have to build it up beforehand. So it's not one of those things that you can easily flood the internet with positive stuff as soon as someone harms your reputation. But if you've been taking the efforts to build a positive reputation online, then one or two harmful articles of posts or comments, isn't, uh, they're, they're not really going to harm you too much. Fantastic. Shall I summarise, Gihan? Go ahead, Chris. Alrighty. So the four principles, just recapping, were bite your tongue, so assume that everything you do online is public and permanent. Lock up, which was to use strong passwords. Don't talk to strangers, so be careful when you're out and about using mobile networking. And finally, listen up, monitor what's being said about you online by others. Great. And my last word is to build your online positive reputation first so that any negative stuff doesn't cause too much harm. Excellent. Thanks, Chris. It's been an ex- interesting conversation as usual. Yep, and more of the same in about a month's time. Great. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.focalpointpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to our past episodes or leave us your comments or questions. We look forward to having you back next time.